0: John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the jordan river this is the word of the lord let's pray oh god as always we're praying for insight into these relationships you're calling us into our relationship with you our relationship with each other and our relationship with ourselves help us to understand you better in jesus name we pray amen i kind of fully expected all of you to be gone when I came out because it seems like a lot of fun is gonna be happening downstairs. And uh, so uh, we're gonna talk about confession today, if that inspires you to go downstairs even more. Um, we're starting a new series here, a little mini series at the beginning of summer, which is here, excitedly. And uh, so we're gonna be looking at Christian practices that help you to grow as a follower of Jesus, all right? so. Last week we kind of got started by talking about the idea of prayer and you can always go to avonhope.org and catch up on previous uh, teachings that we've had here. So now we're gonna look, uh, next week we're gonna look at prayer again in more detail. Michelle's gonna talk to us about praying, we're gonna look at engaging with the Bible. Today we're talking about the great Christian practice of confession. Okay, so uh, our text of emphasis today was talking about uh, John, who became known as John the Baptist. He was Jesus' uh, cousin. There's somebody going to, to, to puppets. That's good. Very nice. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't blame any of you if you left for the puppets. Um, so John uh, John was out in the wilderness. He was on the edge of the, the uh, desert, and he had become a, a great and famous preacher. And so people were uh, going out to hear him preach as they were out there, they are Hearts were convicted, and so you had confession and baptism going on. And so here in the story of Jesus, this is just before Jesus is uh, showing up, you have the idea of confession, but confession is actually a a practice that goes back way before even John the Baptist shows up. In Leviticus, in the Hebrew Bible, uh, we actually get the instructions about confession, and this is Leviticus chapter 5, verse 5, and it says if anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, and so Leviticus has been outlining all of these uh, rules and laws that are designed to help this community that has just come out of slavery. If you have read the story of the uh, the ancient uh, Israelites, they had been in slavery for 400 years, they were now coming out of slavery. And so God was introducing to them laws, not just arbitrary laws, but laws about basically how to get along with each other, how to be a community together, and how to be in good relationship with God and themselves. And so uh, Leviticus is articulating this, and so we get to verse 5, and it says, if anyone becomes aware that they are guilty in any of these matters, they must confess in what they have sinned. All right? So the idea of confession for a sin is incredibly important. The the idea of confession and the idea of sin can make people a little bit nervous, but if we think again about confession and sin, quite frankly, sin, things that inhibit our relationship with ourselves, with each other, and with God, I think that's a little bit less triggering. Um, These are not just arbitrary rules that God is coming up with, but God is concerned with how we get along with each other, and that we have a healthy relationship with ourselves and with him, and so he articulates the way to do that. And then now the confession is like, if any of those things are broken in your experience, confess them, acknowledge the ways in which you are broken or in which you've, you've done something hurt someone or hurt yourself or hurt your relationship with God. That's what Leviticus 5.5 is saying. And so this idea of confession is an ancient idea. In fact, if you look at uh, religions and philosophical systems around the world, the idea of of confession is not new even to uh, uh, the Hebrews and not new to Christianity. The idea of confessing, acknowledging the things that we've done that are hurtful is an ancient practice that is practiced by many of the world's religions. Uh, Even today, by the way, if you've talked to psychologists about acknowledging your wrongdoing, they're gonna tell you that it is good and healthy for you to acknowledge the things that you've done that have hurt other people, that have hurt yourself. So confession is good for us. It's not just a religious practice. Acknowledging what you've done and where it's wrong is good for you. And yet, uh, confession can be really difficult for us. Acknowledging the ways in which we've done things that aren't great uh, can be intimidating, and many of us struggle with this, and so it leads to our key question today: What inhibits us from practicing confession? It was clearly it was a part of 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 the early Christian walk when. John was coming. That was the first thing they would do. Before they were to be baptized, they would confess the ways in which they were broken and the things that they had done, and then they would be baptized. And then going back to the the ancient uh, Hebrew Bible, this instruction about uh, confession. I keep wanting to say confection. I must be hungry for, for food, for candy. Does anyone have some candy for me? Confession, not confection. Forget confection. Confession has been an essential part of the religious experience for so long, and yet many of us struggle with the idea of the practice of, of actually uh, confessing. So we wanna explore a little bit about why that is the case. And so the first assertion, why confession is difficult for us, is that we have fragile and weak, uh, we have a fragile and weak self uh, view of ourselves and our ego, many of us do. and uh, And so we wanna, protect ourselves. In fact, by the way, sometimes the most bombastic people who seem like they have it all together or want to present that are the ones with the uh, weakest ego. And so, but all of us struggle with who we are and our our identity at some level and how we measure up to other people. And this weakness or perceived weakness inhibits our ability to confess because we don't like to admit wrongdoing and that we've done something wrong because when we admit that we've done something wrong, it uh, may indicate, we may think, it may indicate to somebody else that we are weak or we're not who we say we are. And that inhibits our ability to con- confess because we're like, you know, what are other people going to think of me? And that fragile uh, ego of ours is, is doesn't want uh, to be perceived in a, a bad way. And so it's difficult for us to admit wrongdoing. It makes us look weak. Uh, oftentimes we... Uh, We associate our actions with our identity. This is another issue. Like if you do something that was hurtful or wrong, we don't want to admit that because that might reflect on our identity. But, you know, your actions and your identity are two different uh, things. But when we associate those two together, again, we we may not want to admit our wrongdoing because it's going to make us feel like or sound like to someone else a bad person and that we have a bad character or that our identity is is somehow uh, hindered. And so all of these things affect our ability to confess. Now, the bad news here is that religion often hasn't helped with this and Christianity in particular, and we're in an Adventist community, we're just gonna be transparent here. Adventism has not always helped with this. Um, We've leaned into uh, other practices, things that we feel like you should, do and when you lean into that a little bit too heavily uh, you can start thinking moralistically or legalistically and then everybody starts judging each other by the way we judge each other because we don't want to judge ourselves judging ourselves is too painful you start judging yourself that's painful so what do you do you judge somebody else Uh, and uh, if your religion is based on being a good person or doing the right thing then uh, we recognize that we're not very good at doing those things And we don't want to judge ourselves, so we start judging everybody else. And when you have a community that is judging each other, the whole idea of confession just isn't going to work, right? Uh, The the apostle James, he instructed believers, if you can believe this, to—I actually have it here, this is James chapter 5 verse 6, it says, confess your sins to each other. This is instruction from one of Jesus' apostles. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. So James is like, confession is so important that you should do it with each other. You should share your weaknesses and share your mistakes and share the things that you've done wrong with each other. But most Christians, many avids, would never do this because the community is not a safe community because the community is known for judging each other. Okay? Because uh, we've rooted our identity in being a good person and uh, doing the right thing. And if if that's what your identity is, you cannot admit that you haven't done the right thing, because then how is that going to reflect on you? So Christian communities, unfortunately, have not encouraged confession, but they exacerbated the problem of not practicing a confession, because we're all scared of what somebody else is going to think if we confess with each other. I'll note here, if you've ever been in a in a community, and I think this often happens most healthfully in small groups together. If you've ever been in a group that you feel okay being transparent in, there is nothing better than being able to confess to each other, to talk about your brokenness, to talk about the areas that you're struggling with, that it can be incredibly encouraging. But unfortunately, that is often not the case even in Christian communities, even in Adventist communities because we're so worried about uh, how we look, because we're basing uh, our identity on being a good person or doing the right thing, and we could never admit that we haven't done those things. So all of these inhibit our ability to confess to each other and and to God, quite frankly, to just be open and be transparent even with God. Okay, secondly, we struggle with the ability, the idea of confession, because we haven't really audited our actions, to know what specifically we've done that might be hurtful to ourselves, to each other, and to our relationship with God. And so we're making bad decisions, but we're not aware of what those decisions are because we haven't spent time just being thoughtful about them and reflecting on the ways in which we've hurt ourselves and hurt others. And we don't do this because again, that's painful. It's much easier to just keep going. And yes, we, uh, we may hurt somebody, we may hurt ourselves, but let's not think about it, and let's move on. The problem is, each hurt causes a wound, and wounds don't heal unless they're tended to. And so we live these lives where we're just full of wounds, or we've wounded ourselves, we've wounded other people, and we never take care of the wound, and we just keep uh, moving on. And we think that we can go on and, you know, nothing's going to be affected by that, but things are affected by that, our relationships are affected by that, including, again, a relationship with ourselves. And so we don't want to think too long about the actions that we may be doing that are are hurting these relationships, and so we just keep moving on. So we don't an audit, and this in, impacts our ability to uh, confess. If you ever tried confession, to say, okay, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk to God and I'm gonna confess, uh, the the, the hurtful areas in my experience, and those don't come up, that's probably because you haven't spent time like really auditing and thinking about how your actions impact your your relationships. So again, that impacts our ability to confess. And then finally, we have a difficult time with with confession. (laughs) I really, really am still wanting some cotton candy, apparently, some confection. Uh, (laughs) We have a really difficult time with confession I was at a baseball game last week, there was uh, cotton candy involved, so maybe I'm still upset, you remember that, Uh, yes. Uh, We are fatalistic about the outcome of our confession and whether it's really gonna make a difference or not. I mean, why spend the time if nothing is gonna change? Why reflect on the hurtful areas? Why not just keep moving on if nothing is actually going to change? And this is related to the fact that we recognize our own inability to fix the problems that we make, right? So you make a mistake, you can't fix it, and so why why dwell on it? Just move on because mentioning that uh, it's it's a problem is really not gonna do anything. Maybe you've experienced this with a family member, maybe you've been at work and you uh, you you did say that uh, you did something wrong and it actually impacted your career negatively. Uh, you, we remember those things. And so we're fatalistic about whether confession is actually going to work in our experience. And so we don't do it. Again, we just keep moving on. And yet and yet, confession is good for us. It's something that we're invited to do as, as, as uh, a people of faith. And uh, God is calling us to do it. And so we can't just move on. This is, this is an essential practice to being a disciple of Jesus, a student of Jesus. And so, what hope do we have? How do we learn to practice confession? How do we put it into practice and overcome these barriers, these challenges to actually doing it? And that brings us, as always, back to Jesus. You know, if we are confessing to the the great God of the universe, the God who came as a, a man, and lived and died and rested and rose again. If if Jesus is the one that we are confessing to, then we have great hope. Uh, When Jesus was dying, he was literally nailed to a cross between two criminals. We read these words. They came to the place called the skull. Uh, He was crucified there along with two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Now, this idea of forgiveness that runs throughout the Bible but is rooted in the work of Jesus is incredibly important. So here you have Jesus who is offering forgiveness. I mean, this is really the great barrier to confession. Are we going to be forgiven? That's, that's part of, is confession worthwhile? Uh, is something gonna be fixed? Well, according to Jesus, he has the power to forgive. And forgiveness... Uh, uh, alleviates us from the guilt of whatever wrongdoing that we've had. And by dying, he, Jesus is already forgiving. He's on the cross. He's already asking for forgiveness from, from, uh, for God, from God for these people. And so by dying, Jesus is enabled to forgive everyone. In 1 John 1, uh, 9 through 10, we read this. If, so there's a little bit of a modifier here. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Okay, so according to John, another one of Jesus' early followers, that as we confess the the areas in which we've hurt other people, again, we're thinking of sin in that context. Sin is how we, uh, the things that hurt our relationship with ourselves, with each other, and with God. But if we confess those things in which we've hurt those relationships, God is faithful, and He's just, and He will forgive us, and He will also purify us from all all unrighteousness. So two things happen. First of all, uh, you're forgiven, okay? You're forgiven. So whatever you've felt guilt from, that guilt is removed because as you confess faith in the Lord Jesus, because Jesus lived and died and rested and rose again, He has now the power to give us forgiveness, to to, 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 to take away the guilt of whatever thing that we've done that has hindered our relationships. But also we're told that he works to make us new, that he cleanses us from all, un, all unrighteousness. So there's an element of forgiveness for the past, but also a cleansing as we go forward. And so God is working in our experience, and all of this is rooted in confession. Now, why doesn't God just do this? Why does he ask us to confess and this goes back to the idea that we've talked over and over and over again that god is a god of consent he doesn't force himself into our experience he doesn't force himself onto us he wants a relationship one with us not one that's rooted in his power over us but in his love for us and our love for him and so he's like listen you confess you acknowledge and then i can get involved and engaged and fix the problem. But if there's no confession, uh, there's, it's, it's going to be a problem. We can't fix a, the, the, the problem unless you're open to it because God is a God of consent. There's an, an old illustration of a reservoir, like a giant body of water, you know, with a dam. And uh, on the other side of the reservoir is this immense, amount of water, but, you know, there may be just a little trickle or nothing on the non-reservoir side of the dam. And so the idea of God's forgiveness is much like this reservoir, that he has a reservoir of forgiveness that is unlimited. There's, there's, there's nothing he can't forgive, and, 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 and there's nothing that he can't clean, because he's got an immense reservoir. But we're on this other side with the trickle of, of nothingness. And, and all there is is the, the spigot of confession, and we're thirsty, and we're dying, and we're trying to fix ourselves, and we're trying to get ourselves together, and we're worried about our, our identity, and whether we're a good enough person or not, or we've just given up on that whole idea, and we're just trying to be the person that we, we are, and we're not asking for forgiveness, and we're just running roughshod through life. And God is like, what are you doing? Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But confession is the key because he believes in consent. He's not gonna just uh, take over your experience through his power. And so today as we think about uh, how we can grow as a disciple, how we can grow as a follower of Jesus for those who have confessed faith in Jesus and who wanna grow in, in this relationship with God, we are invited to confess. And we are invited to know that God has this great reservoir of forgiveness and cleansing available to us because he loves us. This is all rooted in the God of love, not just the God of great and immense power, but a God who loves us, who cares about us, who wants us to be able to live in right relationship with him, with ourselves, and with each other, who knows we are struggling with our identity and and whether we're good enough and whether we're going to be able to fix all the problems in our lives, and knows that we're not gonna be able to do it on our own. That's why the reservoir is necessary. He's got the power, he's got the power to forgive and to, to, to give us all that we need. And so God is calling us, inviting us into this relationship that is rooted in consent. Our confession allows him to do the work that only he can do. Cleanse us from our sin, cleanse us from our brokenness, forgive us and help us to be in right relationship even with ourselves. So many of us are conflicted because we are not in right relationship with ourselves. That is painful. That's a difficult place to be, but you don't have to be in that place. God is inviting us into a relationship with him and that relationship requires confession. Acknowledging the ways in which we've hurt our relationships and letting God do what only he can do to cleanse us and to fix us so that we can move forward in love and grace and mercy for him, for ourselves, and for each other. And so, may we confess. Last week we talked about a confession of faith. A confession of faith is acknowledging or just uh, verbally acknowledging that you believe in God's work. Okay, there's the confession. Today we're talking about confession of sin. And so last week we suggested hey, a confession of faith is you wake up in the morning, and you just say a confession, I believe in the power of the resurrection and I want God's spirit to work within me. It's a confession of faith. Now you can add to that in the morning a confession of uh, a, a, a confession of sin, a confession of brokenness, which Goes right along with it. God, help me in my brokenness. Help me to identify my brokenness. I would imagine that the first time you go to try to just confess (laughs) your brokenness, you're going to have a difficult time grasping exactly what it is that is affecting your, your brokenness. All right? So the first prayer is just a prayer. Help me to see the ways in which I'm broken, in which I've hurt myself, in which I've hurt others, in which I've hurt my relationship with you. That's a great and simple an easy way to start this journey of discipleship as we learn to confess. And as we do this, the reservoir is open and God's grace and mercy and love can cleanse us from all unrighteousness and forgive us of our brokenness. And so may God do this in us today. Amen.